0: Greetings from Hosanna Free Lutheran Church in St. James, Minnesota. Our goal for this radio broadcast is that you might grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the goal for everything that we do, whether it's our 9 a.m. Sunday school, our 1030 worship, or our men's and women's Bible studies. If there's any way that we can help you grow further in your relationship with Jesus, please do not hesitate to contact us. We pray that this would bless you. So our sermon today is going to be taken from Luke 12:32 through 34. If you'd please rise out of honor of God's word. Luke 12:32 through 34. That's found on page 1108 in your Black Pew Bible or 1260 in the Adventure Bible. Luke 12 Verses 32 through 34. And I read in Jesus' name. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let us pray. Lord, as we come to you, we need your spirit to be upon us, to guide us in the application of your word. Lord, that we might understand and that we might live it out, that it would become part of us in the way we interact with this world. Father, we thank you your word we thank you for your truth your word is truth bless us now and sanctify us we ask in jesus name amen you may be seated all right so we'll take a quick poll um actually i'm I'm not going to take a poll i'm norwegian not polish uh no sorry that was a really bad joke It, it was it's okay it's okay yeah, no, I'm not German. I don't take Poland. Uh, our, so the, the sermon that I had planned was this one. Um, and I was going to break this into three parts and was going to talk about that. I was really struggling, though, with this first part because there's so much in verse 32. And I was like, well, what do I leave out here and I was praying about that, and as I was praying about, Lord, what do I leave out? Because as one of the um, preaching books, actually, I shouldn't point to my library, because Levi, Levi has that preaching book right now. Uh, they talk about the, the benefits of a sermon are not about what you put in. What makes a great sermon isn't about what you put in. It's about what you leave out. Because there's so much stuff that can be talked about, so what do you leave out? And so I was praying about that. Lord, what do I leave out? And this first one, and as I was praying about that, I just kept getting more stuff to put in. It's kind of like cleaning your house for a sale. It's like, yeah, it's like cleaning your house for a sale. You just keep bringing more stuff in until, yeah. And I understand as we, yeah, declutter our house. But so I'm gonna change our sermon, and this was decided just now. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> but we're just gonna focus on verse 32, and and part of it is because I, as I was. Praying through this and working through this passage, I realized that our problem as American Christians, well one of our problems as American Christians, is that we have this really false idea of God, and i don 't know where it comes from. Um, I was listening to an a historian he happens to be an Eastern Orthodox father, but he's a historian he he wrote a book called Paradise and Utopia and he's got a podcast about this as well and it's very fascinating. Uh, I haven't read his book but I listened through his whole podcast and he talks about uh, a pessimism, a spiritual pessimism in the West that has invaded the, the West and so we are the Western church. They consider us the West, they are the East, you know, they're the Orthodox, they're the Eastern Church, we're the West, we're the Western Church, and so Catholics and everybody who's come out of Catholicism. And there's this pessimism and this, this sense of um, like mourning that we bring into our Christianity and that we see God as being very, very harsh, even when we take communion. You know, when we take communion, how do we approach the communion table how, and how do we leave the communion table? Like We usually approach it very solemnly, very sober, somber. Remember, the difference between sober and somber is a big one linguistically, but it's only an M. And so as Christians, we're supposed to be sober-minded, right? Does that mean we're supposed to be somber-minded? No. And so even as we approach communion, we approach it very somber. We approach God very somber. And this is a joyous thing that we have here. We are experiencing the forgiveness of our sins in communion, aren't we? Like, we get to experience that in a real way. We get to partake in Christ in a real way. We get to interact with Christ in a physical manner. And yet we come up and make sure we look down because that's what we do. And it makes me wonder, do we approach God properly? Because this is the God that calls us to himself and we're like, God has called me. He knows my name. He has forgiven me all of the sins that I have committed, even the ones that I don't know. That's great. Oh, bother. (laughs) Really? Like, do we have a proper understanding of God? Because God comes to us here. God comes to us and he says to us as Christians, fear not. We're like, Okay. I suppose Be coming with a skipping heart or skipping the furniture is what keeps bouncing in my head. The question is why not? Really? Why not? No, I can understand. I've got and you know, we can and we can put on an act. Cuz all of w- us can act even if we're not actors. We can all act. I can act like I've got this heavy burden of sin on my shoulders. And I come up to the, up, up to the communion table or come into confession or I've got this big burden on me and then I lay it at the cross and I'm just so overwhelmed by because I've been carrying it for so long that I don't know how to stand up. But the reality is, it's gone. You know, have you ever seen someone carrying something heavy and they put it down and they continue to walk like that? No, you got, they always stand up. You know, you've got, uh, you've got a farmer that's carrying around a bunch of idiot, I mean square bales, and <laughs> idiot cubes, um, and hanging around in the Hagans too much. We always just call them square bales. You know, they're, they're carrying those, those hay bales, or they're carrying the heavy buckets, and then what happens when they set them down? They always stand up straighter, right? They always stretch. They always open themselves up. That's the way it always works. And yet when we take communion, when we interact with God, we don't say, fear not. We say, I'm, I'm going to continue to cower in fear. And I don't know if it's because of this pessimism that we live under, but I don't think it's right because I think we have this wrong view of God. We have a view of God that God is this sheriff up there that he is, maybe I shouldn't say that because we've got some cops that we're, we interact with, but you know that God is this... This guy who's just waiting for us. You know, our view, my view of the sheriff, you know, I'm thinking about the um, highway patrolman as I drive by. Is he just watching me to see, can I get them? Can I get him? You know, is he doing something wrong that I can pull him over? Um. (laughs) (laughs) Woo-hoo! That's true. Okay, so we are supposed to be reverent before God. But what does reverence look like? Does reverence necessarily look like somberness? Or is reverence not so much an external thing as an attitude of heart? And so as we come before God in reverence, we are in awe of his grandeur. We are in awe of his splendor, and we now have two ways to interact with that. We can interact with that in terror, pulling him back, Or we can interact with that, enjoy going forward as he calls us forward. So I don't think that actually the idea of reverence and somberness necessarily go together. They don't have to. They can, but they don't have to. Because we are also, um, you know, okay, we just went through all the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Somberness is not in that. And I, and I use that word intentionally because we are called to be sober-minded and dignified. And so I am called to interact with this world with dignity. Paul actually tells me that. As a church leader, I am called to have dignity. But what does dignity look like then? You know, that I'm not supposed to be a fool. But I'm supposed to be Intentional. I'm supposed to hold myself properly towards God. That, and that doesn't necessarily mean that I skip up to communion. But that I walk forward with joy, with excitement, getting to interact with God. And so fear not. Here we're told, don't live. Be reverent. You know, um, let, the earth is in his holy temple. Let all the nations keep silent before him. Sorry, it's a fall that paraphrase. It's a couple of translations in my head, but I'm having a really hard time pulling them apart right now. Um, but all the earth keeps silent before him. You know, and that's a sense of reverence, that I would be silent before God. But is that a silence with my eyes downcast or is that a silence of awe? The Lord is in his holy temple. Wow. What's he doing? What's he going to do today? Is that a, is that a silence of expect, hopeful expectation? How do our... And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about something that I don't understand. It's not one of my four emotions, happy, sad, angry, and confused. Uh, it's in the confused portion. Am I hopefully expectant to see God work? I have a, a, another preaching book by a guy named Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was English. He's got a lot of names. And um, in his book, he says that we all as Christians, every time we enter into the worship service, we should be entering into the worship service with expectancy, wondering what is God going to do today. How is He going to show up? How is He going to work? You know, in the sense of expectancy instead of a fearfulness. Because when does God tell us to fear Him? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But then we're also told in First John that perfect love casts out all fear. It's at a beginning. It, we don't sit in the beginning. If you're building a house and you build a solid foundation and then you don't build anything else, what good is that? And so we start there. We need to start with a fear of God. And then we need to move through that into a love towards God. This hopeful, joyful expectancy. What is God going to do? Why? Why fear not? Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Nathan. So where it says the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom, so you're supposed to not just stay with that fear of God? Yeah. Yeah, you don't just live there. It's the beginning. It's the foundation. It's the start. And so, there is true reverence because if we interact with the awesomeness of God, why would I want to sin? You know, because now I know the wrath of God. I understand that, but I don't live out my Christianity simply out of fear of the wrath of God. Does God bring that back to me at times? Absolutely. There are um, actually. I was just. I was just interacting. I'm not going to give you guys specifics because (laughs) it's none of your business. But (laughs) not not at this level. But I was interacting with a sin in my heart, and I was like, Lord. I don't, why am I feeling this way? Why am I feeling this way? And God said, it's because you don't repent, you haven't repented of it. And if you don't repent of it, it's going to eat you. This sin is going to consume you and you are going to become defined by it. You need to repent. This is your sin. And I was, it was irritation with someone. And so I'll, I'll let it go that far. But God said, this is your problem, not theirs. You need to repent. So what is that? That's fear of God because God said, this is going to eat you. You know, this this is going to consume you. You are going to become formed by this and you're going to become bitter. You need to repent of that. And so out of fear of what God said, I repented because I don't want bitterness to live in my life. But now do I continue to interact with that fear? No, because now I have freedom. I've repented of this. Now I know how to interact with this person. I'm called to love them, not allow, not allow them, or not allow, not allow them, not allow myself to take offense, nor be bitter, but now I'm called to love them because I want to see the kingdom of God grow in their hearts and in their lives. And so that's the goal. Now I have a goal to aim towards. Instead of my own reputation, my own position, I can hand that over to God and say, Lord, I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to let them insult me so that I'll have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Kevin. So it's more like a check and balance. So the fear is coming. It's, it's a check. Hey, that's something. Is it brighter? Yeah, it's the rumble strip on the side of the road. But I tell you what, I try not to drive on the rumble strips, even though I do have farmer in my background and I like to check the crops. <laughs> Some of you farmer's wives laugh way too hard at that. Yeah, you understand. You know, but I don't drive on the rumble strips just to make sure that I'm still on the road. We we go off of them back in so that we can aim for our destination. Does that make sense? So this is how we interact with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is important, but we don't just live there. We do what it tells us. And then we walk towards the goal because that's the love of Christ. Fear. So Jordan Peterson uh, had a discussion at one point. He was talking about rats. (laughs) So they put rats in a maze. and The rats went in the maze, and that's what I feel like with this sermon. I'm trying to navigate all these waters, um, all these things as they come. They put rats in a maze, and they put the smell of food in front of them. And they found that the rats successfully traversed that maze. Now they did another thing. They put rats in a maze, and they put the smell of a cat behind them. Because even if a rat has never interacted with a cat, they have a pathological fear of cats. Shocking, I know. They put the smell of a cat behind them. And they actually traversed that maze a little bit faster than when they had the smell of food in front of them. And so then they had a great idea. What happens if we combine the two? What if we have the smell of a cat behind them and the smell of food in front of them? And you know what? they passed that maze fastest yet. That's the way that God interacts with us. If you go that way, there's going to be something that eats you. If you walk in sin, sin is going to become your Lord and your master and you're not going to be free. You are not going to be free. Sin promises us freedom. It promises us joy. It promises us hope. It promises all the fruits of the Spirit, really. That's what sin does. Sin says, if you steal that, you're going to have peace because then you'll have enough or you'll have joy or whatever. You know, if you cheat on your taxes, then you're not going to have to worry about how much money you have. You're just going to have to worry about the IRS. (laughs) Um, So sin gives us all these promises, but God says that sin, that's going to bind you. That's going to conform you to its image. And so he gives us that fear and that runs behind us. But then he also gives us the promise of holiness. Presence, the Lord's presence. He gives us that promise and he calls us forward. So is that beneficial? Do I have wisdom by not going into sin? Yes. Yes. But there is more wisdom in walking in love. Aiming forward to that goal. Because God wants us to move forward in our Christianity. Believe it or not, God wants us to grow. Anybody here reached the the climax, the epitome of their Christian walk? Like, I'm good. I can't go any further. No. And you know, the most mature Christians I know are the ones that want to grow most. Because they look at that and they say, I am so immature in comparison to what I could be. The most immature Christians I know say, you know, I'm doing really quite well. I don't really need more. I don't really need to go to, I don't really need to listen. I don't really need to be in fellowship. I don't really need, I'm okay. That's the most immature Christians I know. Whereas the most mature, they are driven by love to know God better. So does that, does that make sense? Like this, how do we interact with the fear of the Lord? Yeah, I, I stay away from the stuff that causes it to be implemented upon me. Remember, yeah, I'm going to stop there. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you his kingdom. I'm going to talk about his kingdom, then I'm going to talk about good pleasure. What does he mean when he talks about the, the kingdom? It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So what did the Jews think about when they thought about the kingdom of God coming? They thought it was everything. This is Christ blessing everything. So they had they had a vision of the they had a vision of the whole world coming and taking hold of this is in the minor prophets and that's why they thought that. Coming taking hold of a Jew and saying, "Show us your God." That was part of their vision. They wanted that. They wanted the world to come to them so that they could know God. And they had this idea that they would be held high and they'd be held in high esteem because they knew God. And so they had this vision that they would know God so well that the whole world would see it. They had this vision that they didn't have to worry about food or about drink because every man would be able to sit under his own vine or his own fig tree. That they would be provided for in miraculous ways. That they wouldn't have to be concerned about enemy armies, but that they would be able to have towns that didn't have, board, that didn't have walls on them because they would be absolutely free from any fear. That was their vision. That's what they wanted. This is God's desire for you, Jesus is saying. This idea of the kingdom, because each and every one of those thoughts was true, they applied it improperly. They thought about it in physical terms instead of in spiritual terms. Do you know that I don't have to worry? I don't have to worry about what you guys think of me. Because God has my reputation. I don't have to worry about it. Honestly, I don't have to worry about where I'm going to get my next meal. One, I can already smell it. Um, (laughs) love potlucks they encourage me to get my sermons done faster Um, no sadly not but we'd have potlucks more often then no I don't have to worry about where I get fed because I can go to God for that Now, I don't have to worry about my physical food either because I can go to God for that. I don't have to worry about my finances because God is the one who provides for me. I don't have to worry about these things. I don't have to be in fear. I don't have to live in a walled city and close myself off from the Christian community. I don't have to do that. Because people do that still, don't they? They live in a walled city inside of their own hearts and they don't let others in. And they don't go to them either. They keep the gates closed. You know when you close the gates, not only do you not let other people in, but you can't get out. And they live in walled cities in their own minds. And they live in walled cities in their own hearts. And we don't have to do that. Because we'll be at peace. Where does that exist? That exists within the kingdom of God. Well, what is the kingdom of God here on earth? Well, that's the church. Big C. Not little c. Big C. This is what God is calling us to. This is the promise that he is giving us. And he says, it is my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So this is interaction with God himself. This is our ability to talk to God, to be in his presence. This is God giving us a down payment of heaven. Of heaven. Here. As we walk with him. This is his call and his promise to us. This is the kingdom that he is trying to give to us because this is his good pleasure. This is what he wants. You know, have you ever heard someone say something so foolish as, Well, you've got to prove to God that you really want it. You've got to prove to God. Well, this isn't evidence to God. Like, no. No. That's not the way the kingdom of God works. That is a lie. God is the one who wants us in his kingdom. It's not me proving to God. It's not me trying to get God to finally let me in. It's not me repenting well enough. I've talked to you guys about that before in the past. Like, that's what I really struggled with when I was in high school. I just can't repent well enough because if I could repent well enough, I'd be done with this sin. No, because I was still relying on my repentance to get God to forgive me and cleanse me. It's God's good pleasure. He wants this. You know what God wants for you? Everything. He wants you to have everything bountifully. This is what he wants. This is how God interacts with you and with me. You think about that for a moment. How many of you would like to have more of the fruits of the Spirit? How many of you would like to experience more love? More peace? More joy? Well, where do we get that? God wants you to have those things. This is God's desire. He's actually pushing them on you. The problem is, our own immaturity. I'm not ready for them. Because of the sin in my life. You know that that bitterness that I had allowed to start growing in my life, that offense that I had taken, you know what that was doing? That was separating me not only from God, but it was separating me from God's people. It was making me arrogant. So it was lowering me. And so it was keeping me from the Spirit. Not keeping the Spirit from me, it's keeping me from the Spirit. Because I was going somewhere else to find satisfaction. I was going towards my pride, I was going towards my reputation, my view of myself, really my pride. Seeking my pride instead of seeking first His kingdom. That's what it was doing. That was just this week. My immaturity is keeping me from God's blessings. And so then why does God give us trials? Have many of you ever gone through a trial? <laughs> Levi's like, ah, I have, I saw some eyes roll. Like, yes, you all have gone through trials. I could stand here and enumerate them, but um, I'm not going to because some of those things were told to me in confidence. You've all gone through trials. Why? It's because God hates me. No, it's because God wants you to mature. God wants you mature. Why does God want you mature? So he can give you more. So he can give you more. More of himself. Because our sin is our immaturity. And our immaturity is our sin. And so what do we do? How do we mature? We start bringing it to God. We stop walking in our sin, we start walking in righteousness. That is maturity. So as I wallow in what we just talked about, anxiety. As I wallow in anxiety, what is that? Oh, that is immaturity. Immaturity. As I wallow in bitterness and frustration. Say I wallow in distrust. I use the word wallow intentionally there. As I wallow in distrust. Build up that wall and make sure that nobody can come in and that I can't go into anyone else's life. What is that? This immaturity is keeping me from what God wants to give to me. It's keeping you from what God wants to give to you. Now does that mean that Life's always going to be easy. No. Because you know what? Easiness is not a fruit of the Spirit. You think about that for a moment. That's not what happens when the Spirit comes upon you. Was Paul's life easy? Well, you know, i had been shipwrecked. Uh, stoned by my countrymen, was in fear of robbers, and, and was in danger from robbers and highwaymen, and was in danger from my own countrymen. Yeah, Paul had an easy life, right? No, but he had an effective one. Because he sought Christ. Because God wants to give you his kingdom. God doesn't want you to worry about your finances. God doesn't want you to worry about your food. God doesn't want you to worry about your reputation. God doesn't want you to seek those things that can't actually give anything back to you. God doesn't want you to pursue those things because he says, pursue me. You'll have all of them. I want to give you my kingdom. I want to give you all these things. Everything that the world seeks after, God says, I've got it. And I can give it to you. But I'll give it to you as is best for you. In that time. In those ways. Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure. It's his desire to give you the kingdom. You don't have to prove it. I go back to that Jewish saying that if only one Jew could repent properly, then God would send the Messiah. They missed it. It wasn't because of their repentance or lack thereof. God still sent the Messiah. While you were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? What does Paul say in the book of Galatians? If this has been started by faith, why do you think it's going to be completed by works of the law? seek him. This is his promise. And I'll tell you guys that because as I look out here, I, I see a congregation of people, A, that wants to grow in their faith and B, still has room to grow. And I'm part of this congregation. I want more of Jesus. Why? Because what the world promises me never pans out. What Satan promises me, what my sin promises me, never pans out. What my flesh wants. You guys ever gotten what you wanted and realized that's not really what you wanted? That's the reality of sin. Every time. But what is God's good pleasure? To give you. To give you. Not to make you earn. To give you. He just wants to give it to you. His kingdom. So how do we view God? Do we run after the God that's got candy for us? Because, you know, you could think about it in those terms. He's got something good for you. It's better than candy by the grace of God. Do you see all of the young people flocking around Cheryl like little birds? She's throwing out breadcrumbs. (laughs) Why? Because they know that she's got a goodie for them in her bag. And in her thoughtfulness, she's got goodies specifically for almost all of the kids. Right? You know what they like. Because one, you don't want to have a bunch of stuff in there they don't like because then Jean has to eat it. <sighs> oh, it's stuff that you don't eat either. Oh, yeah. She has to give it to Pastor Joe. <laughs> I'll, I'll eat anything. I'm like Mikey. But why do they go to Cheryl? Why don't they come and hang around me? Because I don't have anything good for them. <laughs> but they go to Cheryl. Isn't this the way that we should interact with God? You know, watch some of these kids come in. When Cheryl, either A, when she comes in before them, you know, do you guys observe this stuff? When she's sitting there and they come in, where do they look? They look to Cheryl. They're eagerly, expectantly waiting on what they're going to get. Or when she comes in, all eyes turn, and then they come like the, the rats behind the Pied Piper with her bag. <laughs> but this... They smell the food, yep. But this is the reality. Is this how we see God? Every morning, do you wake up and say, God, what do you have for me today? What joys are there in your presence today? Or is it, oh God, I'm afraid of the trials that I'm going to have. How do you see God? Because that's what Jesus is teaching us here. Who God really is. Do we come to him as father? One who loves and cares. We hold him in reverence. But yet do we hold him in joy? Reverence lest we blaspheme his name. And there's another aspect of it too. God speaks through Jeremiah to the people of Israel and he says, the Gentiles blaspheme me because of you. Because you guys don't seek me. You just call my name upon yourself. Do not use the name of the Lord your God in vain. It's not going to get you anything. I'm not going to hold you guiltless if you do. So we hold him in reverence because his name is precious. You know this thing that we have calling ourselves Christians? We are ones who know Christ. So we will use the fear of the Lord to chase us away from that sin. But being chased away from wrong doesn't necessarily lead us to right. Christ calls us to himself. He says, come to me. Any other questions? Peggy. Forgive me for the backtracking little bit. You are, are forgiven. Thank you. <laughs> um, but when you were saying that you don't come Um, God is here and if we could actually see him and he would our view of God you know those of you whose parents have passed away who you don't see anymore if they were suddenly somewhere wouldn't you run to them you know and that, that's such a great image like if my father was if your earthly father even just your earthly father well what about your heavenly father how much more how much bigger how much greater The one who loves you more than your earthly father ever could have. You know, I was reading in Psalms this morning, I'm forgetting exactly which verse and I'm not going to go through all the Psalms that I read to try to find it. But David was saying, in your your presence, there are pleasures evermore. In your right hand, there's fullness of joy. I think I just got those two seconds. The second part of those confused. But that's okay. But this is the promise we have. This is the God that we serve. Not a God that's standing up there saying, hey, you better get this right, doggone it. Otherwise, you're going to be out. But the God that says, come. Return unto me and I will return unto you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. One of those is from Malachi. The other one is from James. It's the same God who just says, won't you come? Won't you come? And so I don't do altar calls because I'm Norwegian and uh, Lutheran. But nevertheless, and once a month we always have an altar call. As we pray, if you want more of God, ask him. Ask him. You don't need to prove yourself. Ask him. Lord, give me more of you. I want more of your kingdom. I want more of you. Ask him. And then trust him and expect the answer. Okay, Lord, how are you going to show me more of yourself today? Ask him. You don't have to come up. You don't need me to pray for you. That's one of the difficulties I have with altar calls. It's like, you don't need me. You ask. Don't come through me. Go to him. Let's pray. Father, hear these prayers. Lord, hear the cries of our heart. I want more of you. I need more of you. The stuff of this world does not satisfy me. It makes me more thirsty and more hungry for the wrong things. I need more of you. Will you give me more of you? As you've promised here, Lord, and I ask that we would look expectantly for you to reveal yourself, for you to show up, that you would pour your spirit upon us in new and in greater ways. Lord, that we might have a a closer walk with Christ, that we'd be in your presence in greater ways. Lord, that that you would cleanse us from all our sin, that we might walk in maturity, that we might walk with you, sober, though maybe not somber. Father, we want you. Fill us with your spirit now. May we walk with him. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.